this is All Things Rugby. I'm James. Um, and I'm with, this week, I'm with the man, uh, the legend, that is Steve Smith, the social butterfly of Greenwich <laughs> RFC. Um, how you doing, mate? I'm good, James. How are you, mate? Thanks for having me on. Uh, no, mate, the pleasure is all mine. Um, you've been a a massive part of, obviously, my playing career and um, you've been in the background with me um, with injuries and stuff like that. So, no, it's a, it's a pleasure to actually get you on and, and actually have have the ability to sit you down and um, talk rugby instead of just a, a training session where it's only 15, 20 minutes. So, I'm I'm looking forward to it. Um, good, good Christmas? Yeah, yeah, it was really good. Um, I will say, I think, in this moment, more than anything, I think you've got to appreciate what you have and what uh, forget about the things you don't. Um, you, you can't sort of take take that for granted. I mean, as long as you've got your health and your family are fine, that's, that's pretty much what you should be worried about in, in the current climate we're in, you know? So, um, yeah, a lovely Christmas, I will say. I mean... Um, just before we go, on a massive shout-out to everyone at the NHS. Brilliant. Massive, massive shout-out. All your hard work has been unbelievable and the sacrifice that you've made to try and get people back to back to their full health if they've suffered from COVID and, and obviously what you're going through yourselves. So, um, yeah, no, that's that's been unbelievable work from them. So, deserve all the plaudits that go their way as far as I'm concerned. Totally agree, mate. Totally agree. Um Okay, so the first part of the um, the podcast, mate, we're just going to have a quick look at some of the the rule changes that was brought in before um, areas went into Tier 4. And by the looks of it, it'll be the similar or the same rules that will be implemented if and when we actually get back to playing rugby. Um, and I just want to pick your brain and... Um, and find your thoughts because I know obviously you, you manage and coach at Greenwich, so it's interesting to get a coach's perspective on this as well as a player's. Um, so yeah, mate, with no malls and no scrums, do you think that'd be a change of game plan for yourself? Um, I'm not. I'm not asking you to to reveal your secrets in a way, but yeah, are you going to look at a different change of game plan or are you going to try and keep it similar to what you've got going now? I mean, I mean, obviously, as, as, as part of the fraternity of the front row, as my, my hooker playing days were, obviously seeing malls um, and scrums sort of taken out of the equation, it's, it's very difficult, is, is the word I would say. I mean, it's going to suit. A few teams are going to absolutely love that. But there's also going to be a good few teams that are really not going to enjoy that at all um, in terms of their game plan and, and how they utilise. So, for instance, in the league, we're in some of the teams we've come up against. The, the, the sort of set play area, the scrum and the mauling, is sort of bread and butter territory for them. That's where they pick up a lot of good territory. Um, tries even get scored from them quite easily with some of the teams I'm thinking of. But um, for us as a club... It's very dangerous ground you can be on with it, is what I would say, because inadvertently you can alienate quite a lot of the players you've got in your squad. Um, for instance, your front row and your second row that really enjoy those areas um, are going to find themselves 
what are they going to do in this particular game? Obviously, it's going to make the game a lot quicker. Do I think Grassroots Rugby Union is ready for that sort of change that would pretty much turn our current game into the other code, which would literally be Rugby League with line-outs involved, is what I'm saying that it would definitely turn into. Um, are we ready for that? No. Will some people be interested in playing that? No. But then on the other flip coin of that, there are people that do want to play that type of game. Um, it's hard because obviously what you've programmed in on your pre-season that started in July is certainly not where we are at the moment. Obviously, I've tried to, at our club, is sort of instigate a quicker game that we want to play on getting the ball moving a lot more better and quicker and being more accurate. But this is also taking it that next level. And the fact that we haven't had contact really instigated into a lot of training to the level that we would normally want to go to, it's going to be very difficult to initiate that with the quicker game once people start getting hit, um, stamina levels and whatnot. That's going to be really difficult to do. So it's something that we're looking at as a team in general. It won't be just be myself. I'll have both my, um, my co-captains and the squad in general. We've always spoken about what we want to do and how we're going to go about it. So like as the coach and manager, yeah, I mean, you are sort of the one who's, who's giving the squad what you want them to do. But I think the important part is that people buy into what you're trying to do. Otherwise, you really will hit a brick wall. But in terms of us, we're, we're going to try and play the game as quick as we can. It will be hard. How many games we're going to get out of it at the moment, because obviously we're in Tier 4, is another difficult thing to do again. Um, it's difficult at the moment. It's difficult. You're not really knowing where the land lies. Even though this adapted game's come out, we've still not been able to do it yet. So <laughs> it's, it's hard, I would say, is, is what we're finding at the moment. We're trying to find sort of the, uh, the wood through the trees in, in where we are. And I don't think no one really knows where they are at the moment. A lot of clubs are finding this quite difficult. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree, mate. A lot of um, coaches that have, obviously, I've played either um, under or players that I've played alongside are saying it is quite frustrating that you you get, you get that little bit of um, leeway to go and play, go and do a bit of training, and then it's, it's pulled back, it's pulled under from underneath your feet, so... A lot of coaches are saying it's frustrating. Um, with, obviously, the changes, are for your players, everyone hates the word, but are you going to be looking at a little bit of extra fitness for them um, just just so they can keep up with the pace of the game? I know you was just saying there that you, you're you um, you're bringing in quicker-paced um, like mini-games for them. Um, and, yeah, is that, will that infect your change of setup in a way? Um, and how how you're going to go out and approach that game? I know you said um, in that quick chat that you just had um, about um, the bigger lads, like your front row, your second row. Would you potentially look at bringing in extra back row just to start the game off, and then your big props come on when the game's starting to get towards the end as big ball carriers that will you know muddle through for the last twenty? Or are you going to include them at the, right at the start and then you know? Obviously, at grassroots level, it's it's roll on, roll off. So you you can utilise the three people on the sidelines. But um, how are you going to approach that 
in in general, making everyone happy and including everyone. Yeah, it's, it's always the coaches conundrum that is keeping everyone happy and including everyone. But in the current situation there is at the moment, I mean, I personally am a traditionalist. I would like to see the players that would normally be from one to three in those positions, would normally be my second row in those positions. I, I wouldn't want to say, oh no, well, the game's not quick enough, so we don't necessarily need you as much. I mean, don't get me wrong, there's probably a few folks who will think, oh, lovely, I'd love this little bit of a, a break in the play. But the the one thing, fitness-wise, we've just got back to that fitness-wise part of the first part of the question there, is it's been very hard to keep people there where you want them because, obviously, we've had multiple lockdowns. Uh, grassroots rugby has, has had multiple times where we've had to shut down now. Um, so it's quite hard to get people where you want them to be. Because obviously with grassroots rugby as well, is there's a lot of dependence on personal fitness. Now, obviously, people, grassroots rugby clubs are a melting pot. We, we have people from all different backgrounds of work, obviously their, their ethnicity, their creed, their background, wherever they've come from, we, we as a club buy into everything from everyone. So we want everyone to feel included. The only problem you've got with that is that you're not going to see regular faces as often what you usually would. Because obviously it's a fear factor at the moment with some people that are like, well, I don't really want to risk it. And I fully understand that as a coach. I mean, the, the first thing that I'm looking at with the players is, is making sure sort of mentally and physically they're fine. Like you've, you've got to make sure when you're at those training sessions, I've always lived by the mantra that man management should be the first thing that you should be brilliant at. And then the coaching is coming very tired next to it because you've got to be able to manage people. You're dealing with people, as I said, from all different backgrounds, all different mentalities. Some people like an arm around the shoulder. Some people like their chain to be pulled. Some people like for you to jam up. You know, you've got to be able to talk to people differently. And I think, this time more than any is trying to encourage people to do their personal fitness and take care of themselves. That's the most important thing because as we come forward to rugby, rugby has been very difficult at grassroots to, to make sure that people are still wanting to play the game because at any point you're training in July at pre-season and expecting your first friendly as you get to the beginning of September, August, late August, sorry. At this point, we've not had one single game and we're going into January. So it's keeping people at that point as to say, I'm still interested. I'm, I'm getting games. I know where I've got to improve. And that's probably the toughest task of any coach at grassroots level to keep people at that point of seeing through that tunnel of darkness at the minute and seeing the light at the end and say, there's going to be something coming. We're going to get to that point. So, yeah, I mean, trying to get people to that level of the adapted game it's going to be a long road. And I think personally, what I'm worried about is that the adaptive game will become the normal game. And that can be quite harrowing for a grassroots level, as I said, because it might suit a professional game because of the way they looked after and their regimes and whatnot. But at a grassroots level, you have people all different shapes, sizes and whatnot. And that's why the game of rugby suits it so well especially at grassroots level, because you do have 
naturally, we always pick those bigger lads. You're going to be a prop. You're going to be in front row. Oh, you're a bit quick. We'll have you out wide, you know? Um, so, I mean, it's quite difficult. I mean, as as a person who's trained them, like, what, what do you see it, for instance, just firing this back at you, how do you see it as, from a playing perspective, what this has been like in the sense? Um, I think me and Will touched on it last week as being that itch that you can't really scratch, mate. Um, it, it, it is frustrating from a player's point of view. And obviously, I've coached as well, um, like juniors and seniors and, and adult rugby. But from a player's perspective, it is, it is really frustrating because you, you obviously have to plan your life around your work. And obviously, you know, for instance... Um, I know when I was at Greenwich, it used to be Mondays and Wednesday nights. And you used to turn up on a Monday and there'd be like four or five of you. And you'd be like, well, what can we really do? Well, and then someone would get hold of it and go, well, let's just do an indoor weight session. And you think, oh, uh, mate, I come up here to play rugby. But yeah, go on, I'll, I'll do an indoor weight session. And then you turn up Wednesday and then the players will still be there. There'd be more. And then you'd be like, right, I can get on, I can play some rugby. And I think that's what people look forward to. And not having that, you know, your two days and working your life in and around your rugby, you know, for me, on a Wednesday, knowing after I finish work, I'll get home, I'll have a shower, I'll get into my rugby kit, uh, kit, I'll have a bit of bit of food just before I go, just to, um, just to keep me going. And then, yeah, I'll train for, what, an hour and a half? Um mm. And then, and then you go home, you have a bit of dinner, you go to bed, you wake up for the next day. But it it is very, very frustrating when what you used to look forward to on a Wednesday or in some people's cases a Tuesday and Thursday is not happening anymore. It's sort of like, well, what do I do? What do I fill my time with now? Um, so, yeah, I think from a player's point of view, it's that itch that you can't scratch just yet. But when it comes, I think we will see a lot of players um, come out of the woodwork, come out of the darkness going, oh, I fancy a game. They're playing. Let's get to training. Let's get my name down yeah. on, the, on the team sheet. Um, I mean, because one of the things I, I always say to the players, especially you always found, you always used to get that low at the end of November, December, January, you get that low in training. Freezing cold, pitch black, and I always say to the players, "Is the hardest thing we're training is turning up." And then once you're here, you're in, you're into it straight away. You get there. But I mean, like the thing with with my mantra with with coaching is, I always say to people, never get downhearted on how many players turn up. What you've got to do is, we're always going to do something. Something's going to be done. So, like the mantra I've always had is like, we will. I have got perfect things that I know we can get on with. Even if it's a little low on numbers, don't detract it from the fact that you're here and you want to work. So that's what we'll do. We'll always work hard. But uh, you're right on that thing. I mean, I would say people, a lot of people batting around, like, can't wait to get back to normal. And I think to myself sometimes, um, especially with grassroots rugby, you don't want to just go back to normal because there is so many things you could actually do better than what you had before. So, like, for instance, on our club, where we are for a level, we've 
we've really tried to push our, our social media outlet and whatnot and try to do things differently. And we've got some great people that are working behind the scenes at the club that have done phenomenal work in this COVID area that we've had. You know, we've had the, the, the club's been renovated to an unbelievable standard. I've never seen a club so so good, actually, on the inside as well. It just looks fantastic. I mean, we've got we've got people like, um, you, you know him as well, Jordan Bonner. He's been doing some great work for us, trying to help us push our social media outlet change sort of like the club badge and whatnot, trying to push ourselves out there to something different. And I think coming out of this situation is, is exactly that sort of thinking, is to say, no, we want to come out of it like a phoenix rising from the ashes. You want to come out of it, not as you were before, you want to come out of it something better. So if you can use a situation where it has lulled down, we've been training really well, actually, in the whole of the COVID situation. People have really worked hard and are really buying into what we're trying to do as a club in general. So I think as Greenwich Rugby Club, the, the movement is good. It's just making sure that when, as we creep out of this situation we're in, is pick up those people that are now thinking, do you know what? I really want to get into a sport now. I've had enough. I want to get into something and do it. So I think um, there are some aspects of this coming out of it that you don't want to just go back, to, as I said, to being that normal situation where before you want to come out of it and say, what could we have done better? We want to do better and and progress more to what we're trying to achieve. So I'd like to think we're doing that as a club, which I think we are. I think loads of people working very hard behind the scene um, and all the players as well. So, yeah, I mean, it's just a, a very difficult time, isn't it? You know, training is very hard as a coach level. It's very hard because you're moving from um, from level to level. So we're up to what stage E now? And we got up to stage E and then we were in tier four and you're just like, you, sometimes you don't know where you are, if you know what I mean. Sometimes you you feel like the the sort of, uh, the stuff you're getting back in terms of from sort of like local for RFU, for instance, is, is right, we're moving up to stage E and then the government say, right, you're going on to tier four. You're like, right, it's like the left hand's not talking to the right hand, if you know what I mean. Yeah, mate, um, and I think that's been the case with a lot of people that um, I've spoken to, you know. Obviously, rugby league's been kind of similar. We we had our season cancelled pretty early on. Um, so we just trained through all of it, hoping for like a winter league sort of thing. All the players turned around and said, yeah, the rugby union season's been cancelled. So if we can get a rugby league game, we can get a rugby league game. We looked at bringing a team down from up north and... It, you get put into another tier and it, it, it it's disheartening. It's very, very disheartening at the moment. Um, but I wish you all the luck with with um, whatever season you do end up having, mate. So um, yeah. it, it's, it's, it's been good to um, go away from the club and just, just keep an eye on it and see how things are ticking over. And from an outsider's perspective, I think Greenwich are doing some great things at the moment. Um, and I think good things are coming for you, boys. So just just keep doing what you're doing, mate, and we'll get you'll get there. Yeah, it's grand, mate. Thank you. No worries. Um, I just want to go and touch into um the professional game now, mate. Um, in regards yeah. to the breakdowns, um, a lot of you hear it on when when the games are being played, and there's one at three o'clock today. Um, that hopefully we can sit down and have a watch later. Um, 
but they're, they're saying that the breakdown is coming, becoming very, very soft. Players can't um, challenge for the ball anymore. It's sort of like, well, if if your support carrier is right up beside you and right next to you, then that's it. Breakdown's one for the attacking team. Do you think with the pundits and generally everyone saying that the breakdown is becoming soft, that players like the Curry brothers, Underhill, Justin Tipperick, um, Ardy Sevilla, Sam Kane for the Kiwis, do you think they're becoming more and more like gold dust now? Them sort of players that it, no matter what happens in a game, they're one of the ones that you can rely on to win you a ball back in this soft breakdown area? Or do you feel that the breakdown is not soft at all, mate? I think rugby's at a really strange stage at the moment, Union. So what is a bit thingy with rugby at the moment is we... We as spectators, and I think we're all guilty of it, we love the big collision. We, we love seeing it. And I think what you're getting now, especially from the professionals, which granted, I can fully understand what they're saying, is, is the fact that we want these big, big players now when we want these massive hits and whatnot. I mean, you've only got to look at the transition, for instance, of your, your wingers now. You know, like you look at wingers, when George North came on the scene, we all looked at him and thought, wow, that is that is unbelievable. We're, we're talking about a winger is the size of a, a flanker or a number eight. And I think we we as spectators were sort of encouraging this to, to want to happen. And it, it's eaten into the professional game of that. The one thing I think Rugby Union has been doing is trying to make the game quicker and quicker and quicker and quicker. I mean, if you're looking at scrums now, I mean, you are generally shaking your head because... The hooker position now might as well be a pointless position in terms of the scrum because a lot of the time you see the ball now and the nine is just literally shifting it straight through the second row's legs. You know, it's not actually, there's no competition at that area now in terms of the scrum, I don't believe, unless you get a good, unless you get a good hit and then you get that squeeze on to get the drive. But the majority of the time that's not happening because that ball is out as quick as anything now because it's going through the second row straight to the eight and then it's gone. But it, that competition at the scrum is slowly, slowly effing away. And you can see that, I think, you can see that the way that decisions have been made, especially refereeing decisions, is they don't really want to reset that much. They literally want to give a free kick or a penalty straight away. Just say, right, no, there you go. That's a penalty. We're going to start from here now. Yeah. And you can see that happening. You really can. And the breakdown area is... is is unbelievable. If the, if the breakdown at the moment, I think the breakdown in in terms of the competition area again, I think they're just trying to make this game quick. So I think you're going to start finding that eventually, before we know it, I think you're going to find the Jacqueline will end up being gone. Because obviously now, obviously you can't go past the ball now. We we've seen people like don't get me wrong. We all used to watch Richie McCaw and we used to pull our hair out because. We were all referees watching Richie McCaw thinking, how's he getting away with that? How's he getting away with that? And then you watch people like George Smith, which were unbelievable at the breakdown area. And obviously, your Pocock came along. Absolutely unreal. Hooper, another one. Unbelievable. But I think that side of the game is starting to go. I think the actual Jacqueline, the art of it, of getting to that breakdown and being able to steal the ball, 
it's starting to go. And I think the the decision that's coming to that is basically going back to I was I was listening to the podcast from last week and is the decision with concussions. I think they're getting worried with this breakdown area at the velocity and the size of the people that are absolutely creaming breakdowns. And if a jackal is on the ball, he's getting absolutely annihilated by well, they're, they're athletes. They're like monsters now, aren't they? Pretty much every position, they're huge built, and it, it is muscle. And I think that is where we're going when it says that we're obviously the breakdown's getting softer. Is I think they're trying to annihilate the the collision, the concussion area. That that's my thought on it personally, from oh, seeing how it's been going. I, I was just about to ask you, mate. Do you think that? Um players are worried about um getting injured now um and obviously with with 70 odd players coming out and backing Steve Thompson for what he's doing i mean that that is very controversial he's sort of he split the um the world of rugby in half half of him agree with it half of him don't but do you think the players are genuinely worried about getting injured now or do you think that they're just oh I don't want to put my head in there because I've got a 20 stone bloke running at me and I just don't fancy it today yeah I, I genuinely do think they are worried I mean we've, we've generally got to look at that the game of rugby professional rugby is not that old in terms of them being professionals classed as this is their full time job so it's not a whole game altogether in terms of it going pro. And I, I think they are worried. And I, I, I would say, personally, I, I would say that someone like George North may be looking at the Steve Thompson case and thinking, look, I mean, we've only got to look how many times George North has had concussion tests done on him. Mm. How many times have we watched George North on such a huge unit he is been on the sideline where he's been knocked out? You know, yeah. I think people are generally worried about about the head collisions that are going on. And I think that's why you're seeing the areas of the breakdowns being classed as... You've got people that are old school and we'll see it as soft, but if Steve Thompson is saying that he does not remember that game, he played in a World Cup final. You know, he played in the, the only World Cup final that England have won. Yeah. It's a rugby. And for him to sit there and say, I, I don't even remember this. I can see myself, but I don't remember any of that. It's It's... It's serious, and I think a lot of pros, actually, you've only got to see interviews with professionals, and the biggest problem we've got as spectators, we want more and more rugby, but I think also on the other front is we forget that the collision that goes on now with these professional rugby players compared to what it was before, they are all huge units now, and it is muscle and bone. Collision, collision, collision. And as spectators, we're wanting that. We, we want that all the time because we're spectators and we, we love the sport. But I don't think there's enough accountability going on for the amount of games we're trying to squeeze into professional rugby. I mean, for instance, we all love that autumn in the Nationals Cup. But as a pro, you can imagine them thinking, wow, another game, another set of games we've got to play. And they're training I mean, my, I myself, I was lucky enough to go to England's um, training camp um, before they went to the World Cup, um, last World Cup. So I, I went to, to watch it and they had um, Alien uh, Trail Finders there as the, the demo team, which doesn't often happen. But I mean, you can see the instruction there, but 
these boys are going through, these men are going through um, mass physical, physical training. Well, I've, mate, um, prepping them for the game. I've watched a lot of, um, obviously, videos on YouTube, um, other other sources. Rugby Pass is quite good for it. And that everyone is saying that the England camps, they train so much harder than they do when they play a test match. And a lot of the players that are in the current England squad and the England setup are turning around and saying, well, we train at this level because if you can train harder than a test match actually is, then you find the test match so much easier. Um, So do you think that that's the case? I know it's the case for England, but a lot of players are now looking at that and going, well, I don't like... The likes of Sam Simmons and Joe Simmons, do you think they're sitting at Exeter at the moment going, well, I'd rather not play for England. I've got it quite easy here at Exeter. I don't want the stress of having to go up to Penny Hill, put in, you know, a week's, two weeks hard work where I'm going to be training harder than a test match. And just to get my first England cap, especially for Joe Simmons, who, by the way, congratulations on him and um, Rob Baxter being awarded um, OBE and MBEs um, respectively so but do you think that players such as Joe Simmons and other players that are just being talked about a lot at the moment are sitting there going I don't actually want to play for England at the moment because it's it's so much hard work I mean I think everyone everywhere I could imagine every professional sportsman wants to play for their country yeah? that that would be the first thing that comes to my mind. Then I think they do want to get there. I think they do want to be in the elite squad. Um, and I think it will be interesting, obviously, with the whole thing with the championship. Will Will Eddie Jones, for instance, want to rest some players and have a look at some others? You know, that that could possibly come in come into the fray straight away for me. I mean, he may look at a few players and go, well, let's have a look at him. There's a great opportunity now um, to put him in the elite squad and have a look at him. There are some players that, I mean, after being at Penny Hill and seeing it, it's it's quite unbelievable. I mean, they are very well taken care of, but they have to be. I mean, it's you've got to look at Johnny May. Johnny May takes mass care of himself. His his actual, I'm watching an interview um, on that Nations Cup basically, and he was going through his protocol of what he does. I mean, he literally takes he like it's like hour by hour what he does. So after he's done his intense training, he'll go have his massage, he'll get in his ice bath, he'll do this, he'll do that, you know. And I think they do have to do that, like massively have to do that. And it is a massive step up because I mean, we all seen constantly Eddie Jones is, is, um, is quite an intense coach and he's not afraid to take you out of the fray if he doesn't think it's working. We've seen it in games. He's taken players out of the game quite early. Even before half times, we've seen it. So, I think for them at the moment, they'll definitely be be looking. But also, there's a few people now are looking. We're in 2021. It's alliance towards South Africa, and there are a few people that are going to want to sort of put their names right up there for that. So, yeah, I, I would like to think that they do want to get there. They do want to get there. And as I said, with the whole thing with Saracens and the championship being delayed now. It'll be interesting to see if there'll be a bit of a shake-up, maybe. Uh, for English rugby, I hope so. Joe Simmons is very, very um, technical. You know, I don't think he missed a kick, really. Um, 
not a massive kick that you can sort of say, oh, you need that to win the game. He's very, very good under pressure. He he showed that in the European Champions Cup final. Um, he's he's just very, very calm and goes about his his work as and when he wants to. He reminds me of Johnny Wilkinson just before he went out for the World Cup in two thousand and three. Um, mm. So yeah, I'd like to see him included, obviously. Um, but yeah, mate. It, it's a waiting game. We'll have to wait and see. Obviously, you know yourself from a coaching side. It's a juggling act and of who you put in, who you don't. So, we'll leave that to Eddie. Yeah. Um, obviously, with the breakdown um, being classed as soft by some of these old old pundits, now you, you've not really got anyone um, that's quite young that's retired. Maybe Alex Corbisiero, uh, but... Do you think the game could change in the breakdown area? Mate, like you said earlier, maybe we don't see Jacqueline anymore and that goes out. Or do you think that there needs to be a bigger change for us to be able to see that breakdown area better? I mean, the Argentinian camp for the Tri-Nations, I think that they must all be laying in hospital bed somewhere with their bodies in bubble wrap because they, they literally put their bodies about during that Tri-Nations campaign, especially against the All Blacks and the Aussies. I mean, their their tackling was second to none. They were throwing themselves into breakdown areas and they really challenged um, the All Blacks especially. But, yeah, do you think that there will be a change? And obviously, if there is that change, do you see teams like Argentina, who are very, very good at the physical side of the game, drop down the world rankings or yeah it'll be it, it, I mean yeah I mean it would be really really interesting that I mean I I wouldn't rule out a change personally for me I mean we've seen the way scrums have changed I mean when I started I mean what they they looked into the fact that scrum change is the actual um tons per pressure like you were taking in the front row, even a grassroots level was ridiculous the like, amount of pressure you were taking in the front row, which you never thought about at all, actually, from the old um, calls that used to be made where you had distance and that's where you saw your tie heads really step into the fray and, and know their art, their craft, you know, so learning those tricks. But I think the game will change. I think um, I think it's inevitable. I think it will be encouraged by the professional players, which I don't think neither you nor I can really sort of blame them for if, if, if they're looking at the scientific sort of data that's coming out with sort of concussion data and stuff like that. I mean, can you blame them? I mean, people, you see sort of the pectoral injuries that happen, the, everything like that, where it's just collision, collision, collision. And yeah, I mean, I can see that. This adaptive game, will it actually um, maybe push that quicker? Possibly. Possibly. I mean, with the adaptive game, I mean, we've took we've took scrums and we've took um, malls out of this way, but you look at a breakdown area and if we're looking at that as to say, right, that could be an area. I mean, breakdown areas can be piles sometimes, can't it? Let's be honest. Mate, uh, well, you can... <laughs> it sometimes can be an entire pack laying on the floor. Yeah, um, I mean, that, that's why I was a bit surprised about the, the, the way they said adaptive game. I mean, they brought out 
they would be ready for rugby, didn't they? Where they were trying to yeah, sort of integrate that to go forward. And yeah, some people didn't do it. Some people did do it. And I mean, I sort of said to my squad, I said, but it's, it's a game of any sense. And I think we need to do something. And everyone was in agreement. Yeah, we do need to play something. Yeah. And I'd rather play something than nothing at all. Yeah, that's it, mate. And I think that's where grassroots players now are sort of set, sitting there and going, anything's better than nothing. Um, which is why I'm glad that even during these these lockdowns that we're having as grassroots players, we're still able to watch the elite um, sporting athletes play and, and train and stuff like that. Um, Nigel Owens touched on it um, in a couple of podcasts um, that he's been doing. Um, he thinks that the answer to the ga- the game becoming soft with the big collisions is to reduce the amount of substitutions. What do you think of that, mate? Yeah, that's that's a, that's an interesting one. I mean, that's that's hard. Obviously, the the levels that they exhaust themselves at in the professional game. I mean, I know a grassroots level. <laughs> you get people that are sort of looking for the sub. Please take me off. And um, usually, a prompt to say ten minutes, ten minutes, and you've got to say, "Well, there's no, there's no, uh, there's no straightforward replacement here unless I'm getting changed and coming on at the moment. You, you're staying on there for the minute because this man needs a rest, but. That's. I think that's going to be difficult to to say as an argument for the professional game. The pace, again, the the, the stamina, the, the whatnot, it just gets drained out of you. I think you need those substitutions in a professional game at that level. You need to be able to empty your bench because you see players coming off the off the pitch, and some of them are like they've got nothing left in the tank, absolutely nothing, and. If we were reducing, you're possibly looking at some of those players doing another 35 minutes. And to me, at that point, you're more susceptible to injury there than what you would be at the moment, if you know what I mean. I'm not being funny, but right at the moment, Mako played 80 minutes in a couple of the games in the Autumn Nation Cup. You know, so you know that your front row can do 80 minutes. I think Nigel Owens was just looking at that subs, reducing the amount of subs that you have which means that your players will generally try and get fitter. Your bigger players then become a little bit smaller. The collisions then aren't as big. But it's not about the big, you know, the the weight of the player. It's about technique. And my God, for someone small and wide-shouldered, Sam Underhill hits like an absolute steam train some weeks when you watch him. I could tell you something. Seeing that man in the flesh, he is at he's like a giant honestly from shoulder to shoulder I was quite shocked on seeing him in the flesh chiselled from rock it was quite uh, what's that chiselled from rock or just like a a I think you'll find granite I don't think rock I think he's just he's just a beast of a man like from shoulder to shoulder it's quite unbelievable Um, but again it's, it's, it's hard isn't it I mean really and truly rugby Rugby has created these players. They've wanted these players because the bigger the player... Look when, for instance, Manu Turalani jumped on the scene. It's unbelievable to see a centre hit and the speed and the aggression. It was quite... We all loved it as spectators, but you can imagine playing, for instance. We've seen some of the hits he did, especially early on, were absolutely devastating. And 
it's quite it's quite straight. I mean, I think you're seeing a slight change in some of the rugby players again now, though. I think you're seeing the likes of a Johnny, Johnny May, and and people like that. And you look at them and you think, oh well, maybe rugby is slightly changing back from those big beast wingers to getting people who are actually rapid and well, and seeing that slight of foot. Chesney you know? Colby to you know. Oh. And, and I think that's what I, I as a spectator of rugby would would love to see. I, I want to see, I want to see that talent of a rugby player. I don't want to just see them because they're huge units. I want to be able to see people who are absolutely slight of foot can really do a step or or drop a shoulder and really go and then just open up, you know, and go for it. Yeah, I totally agree, mate. I know uh, as a as a fan of rugby um, and especially an England fan, it was quite hard to watch um, Cheslin do what he did in the World Cup final but you know if he's wearing an all black shirt everyone would be raving about it Um, but he was very very overlooked um, for South Africa um, for a few years went to Toulouse and he's just he's found himself isn't he and he's found that he's found his spark and he's, he's not He's not um, shy in defending either. He's very, very good going no. forward. But when he's on the backward foot, oh boy, I would not want to, you know, run down his alley. Uh, and that's that's coming from a big bloke that's, you know, played tight head, played at eight, played across the whole. Of and the I remember road. you playing. I, I remember you playing centres and ten as well. Don't worry about that. But that's the one thing I used to I used to say to you is, you're a, you're a three dimensional player. Don't be a one dimensional player. You've you've got to have all of those assets to your locker. Yeah. If, you, if you are able to to open the wheels and go, bang, there you are, you're on. If you're able to drop a shoulder and, and do a little shimmy and you're through, that's even, that's even brilliant. I mean, I've seen some great players even come through the club that obviously I'm at now. I've, I've, I've played with some great players. I've played with some really unbelievable players that you, you do think to yourself, wow, right, how do you do that? But, if you have got that talent, always, always sort of prosper to have more, you know, always don't just, if you think, oh, I'm a big carrier and that's all you've got, well, be a big carrier and be a big carrier with hands also, because then all anyone's going to do is get drawn to you and then you can have your slight of hand offload, you know. I think that's the one thing I sort of said to you when you change position is don't forget about your hands because, yeah, you're a great ball carrier, but you need to have more in your locker than just being a great ball carrier, you know. Yeah, mate, and I think... Um... Previous coaches, you know, they don't. Some people are stuck in their ways. They don't like the offload. And um, Will calls me Sonny Bill Dixon because he just thinks that sometimes how do I get a ball away? But it, it, it mate, it's just practice um, at the end of the day, and it, anyone can do it. I mean, you watch people like Sonny Bill Williams do it, um, and your your Vakatawas for Racing and France, and you think. How the hell have they got that away with four players hanging off? God knows what. And and then you go, well, actually, let me go and try it with no one hanging on me. And you go, oh, it's relatively easy. And then you do it in a training session and you go, well, I can do that. And then you go and put it into a game and you go, well, that went wrong. And then someone will yeah. say something and you know, do you know what? I'm going to do it again because I enjoyed it. And I know I got it wrong, but it, I know it could have gone right. It was just... I. Just did that absolutely. One, I mean, one little thing wrong, and it, it went wrong. But I know what I can do, and it'll go right. And sometimes it comes off, sometimes it doesn't. 
I'll always have the conversation with players afterwards. If I mean, I, I am I am of a coach personally. Is you can have your game plan. I, I have my game plan of how I want them to defend. I have my game plan on this is your set piece. This is what I want you to do in this situation of the set piece and whatnot. When it gets to open play, you've got to encourage the creativity of your players. You have to. You have to make sure that if they can see something, go for it. Go for it. Because you're, you can't control that. You've got to make sure those players have, have got creativity going about them. From, and this has really... Thinking of some older sort of rugby sort of fans will be like, oh, no, not for me. But from 1 to 15, you've got to be able to pass. Yeah. And you've got to be able to see what's going on around you. I mean... Well, the best thing you can see with a professional rugby player, the one thing they're always doing is scanning. Their head is constantly swivelling. Whether they're defending or attacking, they can see where gaps are. So, for instance, you, you, you'll get some big ball-carrying teams that want to hit the faces instead of going through what we throw the spaces. But you want people, slight of hand, slight of hand. The most important person in that try scoring is the support. Yeah. That's that is the most important thing. If if you're if you can encourage players, support play, support play, support play. I don't care if you don't pass it, but the fact that you've got two people available for a pass either side of you or across the line, that makes me as a coach happy because then people will get into them areas to want to actually make sure that we're constantly moving the ball or able to score. So so the way that we're trying to sort of develop rugby, yeah, it's it's great, but you, you need to make sure people are three-dimensional. Like I'll always, as I said, always say to players, what did, if something didn't go on, what did you see there? And I'll ask them to explain to me. If I see a prop trying to, <laughs> trying to do a grubber, he's seen something that would be a better option for a speedy person to get onto. That's great. I'll speak to you after. What did you see? What could you have done different? If they tell me that they, they didn't know what that, why they did that, well, that's not great. What did you see? And if it didn't work, what could you have done better to have fixed that situation? And and that's where you build confidence with people being creative and actually wanting to go out there and, and move the ball and not be scared of the ball. Because I think a lot of the problem that happens in, in especially old-style rugby is, right, give it to the front row, give it to the type five. They're not going to pass. They're just going to carry it into contact. Now, if you can add that to the game of those players, of being able to pass, being able to be a support runner, being a dummy runner and getting onto the ball, you're going to propel their their knowledge of rugby through the roof and their understanding, and they're going to want to develop more as they go along. So they're going to be hungry to play rugby, especially of the quicker game, if you can sort of clink that into their head. Yeah, mate. Um, and it, it's always always the way with um, coaching. It's just it's developing that person and giving them that confidence to... Um, you know, unlock their ability. You know, you know, you've seen it in the training session, and they might not want to try it in the game because everyone else moans at them. But if you know that they can do it and it's on, then why not push it to do it? Like you said, props doing grubbers. I've got nothing against it. I mean, um, the second row that for months the other week in the Champions Cup launching a sixty meter spiral downfield. Yeah. I mean, if you've got it in your locker, use it. Absolutely. I mean. Blimey, Eels for Australia used to take the uh, used to take the kicks off the tee. I mean, he weren't afraid. He was second round. Yeah. So <laughs> that's it, mate. Um, so um, um, there's clubs out there that you see you see them at grassroots level. The player going to 
nudge the ball sometimes. He's like you said, playing second row in the back row, and you're like, that's a tens job because that's what yeah. that's what we've been known to tens always kick. Um, yeah. But yeah, mate, I, I want to dive into you your coaching and um, and that. So, I yeah, I just want to have a chat with you about your coaching because for me, playing under you as a coach was something else, mate. It's, it was a real experience. You gave me the opportunities to do what I wanted to do. Um, you know, you always had that quiet word in my ear before a game and you just said, just go out and have fun. Play the game that you want to play. Play play the game plan, but just play what you see, play what you play. And for a player that, um, like myself, that, you know, is... I wouldn't say quite youthful still because, Christ, I think I'm getting on a bit now. But um, I still like the offloading aspect. I still like a little kick out of hand. So for you, as a coach, giving me the opportunity, mate, I just want to say thank you for that. But I want to dive into how you coach, how you approach um, sessions and stuff like that. Uh, Obviously, with the season coming up um, um, and players like, I think we've already touched on it a little bit, but players not um, scrumming or mauling. How do you think you're going to use the bigger, bigger players that um, that would generally be your your power for your scrums and your mauls? How, how are you going to try and incorporate them into your sessions, mate, to give them? Well, actually, I'm being involved here. I'm going to turn up to a few more sessions. Yeah, I, I really appreciate that comment. Um... That itself from from my coaching, that's that's really nice, mate. I mean, I try to make sure that everyone who I've coached or has sort of worked alongside me or whatnot has tried to feel confident in everything they do. So that's that's one of my my biggest things. I try to make people be confident, always be confident, you know, because um, the the opposition are not going to give you the time of day. So be confident in what you're doing and always have your head up. Never never let that chin go into the chest because then it's game over from the minute you start. So for me, I think with the likes of the rule changes, you have to have your your type five, for instance, even your number eight to some points, you know, some points, um, you have to make sure that they're smart about what they're doing around the pitch now because part of their job is gone. So, I mean, you know full well, people think who plays in uh, the pack Oh, it's, it's all right. It's not too bad. You, you get a few scrums just breaking the game and, and line up breaking the game. It really isn't. It really isn't. Actually, when you're in the pack, it's, it's the toughest time as a player to be on the pitch because, really true, you're not getting those breaks. Half-time is your break. Yeah. Because what you're getting through in a game, as as I've had one of um, one of the centres um, who, who wants to be a forward and he had a go and then he said, I will never, ever, ever comment about forwards again because he realised quite quickly what we have to get through in terms of getting to uh, a scrum getting through that scrum balls out we need to move let's go let's go right now we want to set our pods we're going again there is no stopping you get through a lot of hard work as a forward and sometimes backs will give you grief about oh you need to get here you need to get here and it is always funny that's always been um it's always been that tribal thing with backs and forwards. It's, it's always been a forwards nightmare if you've uh, if you've took the ball on ahead in a scrum 
and you look round and there's the ten maybe have, have kicked it screw with and it's gone out or someone's knocked it on and you think, oh, we've just had a great little uh, advantage there. What have you done? Yeah. But in terms of what I would say to our forwards, especially tight five, I'd say to any forwards out there is, is look at what you can actually improve on. So, as I said, about the sleight of hand, about being in places that you weren't before, that's where you're going to find yourself at the moment. So get better at them. And then when you do come back to hopefully going back to the normalised game, um, you're going to be twice a player because you're going to be deadly in the loose, absolutely deadly in the loose. And when it comes to scrums, you're going to want to get out of those scrums quicker to want to get on the ball and make things happen. So you're actually triggering a part of forwards' brains that is going to open their eyes a bit more to the game. As to say, you don't have to be just this big ball carrier. You've got to have stuff added to your package now. You've got to be, as I said, someone always swiveling, head on the swivel, check what's going on. Because you can have all the game plan you want. And I always say this to players, all the game plan we want as a, a set move for the backs from the scrum. If that defence is not as lined up differently and you know that set move is not going to work, you're not going to do that set move. So this is the point where you need players to go change, we need to think of something else, or you're going to get the 10 to take something on, you know, right, actually, I'm going to change up, follow my lead, you know, you want people to just encourage that creativity and, and having command of a game, because I always say to people, you, the captains on the field are, are literally, that C is, is, is just next to the name, as far as I'm concerned, from 1 to 15, or 1 to 18, you've got to be able to take command of, of what's going on. You've got to, you know, you're catching, yeah, they have the authority, they'll be talking to the referee. But I'm expecting everyone who's on that field to be acting as the captain, having having that reason to get people going. I used to have a great person I used to play with, um, used to just say to you that, like, Jordan Maloney used to say, whisper in your ear, 10% more. If you if he knew you were not at your best, just that whisper of 10% more, you know what level you've got to get to. So, yeah, it's just that point of people twigging in their brain, what what can I do better now? Now something's been taken away from my game. I can improve the other side of it. Yeah, mate. Um, it's great insight um, on how you're going to try and give your forwards that, you know, you may have lost this job, bro, but here's another one sort of thing. Um, so, yeah. Um, kudos to you, mate, for trying to get the bigger players involved still um, and not going. Um, I've spoke to a few coaches at Turman and said, yeah, we'd, we're probably just going to look at maybe a few extra back row in the game because it's going to be quicker and get the props to do a bit of extra fitness. So kudos to you for getting the bigger bigger ball, ball players involved. Um, you know, they're still part of the game. You're going to want them when scrums do come back. So, yeah, well done, mate. Um, we touched on it a bit at the start of the show. Um, I want to come back to it. You mentioned that the long lockdowns are hampering grassroots um, clubs and the way that they're going forward and stuff like that. Is that um, hampering yourself as a coach of a grassroots club? Is there anything you're trying to do to combat it? I know a few clubs have done um, like little mini challenges, download the like Nike Run app, and it's whoever whoever's the first to run a hundred miles over the course of a month. There's a little prize for you. 
some other um, clubs have been doing little Zoom meetings um, where they're still engaging their theoretical side of the, the play. You know, the best one I've seen so far is a coach who's actually recorded the whole of uh, a European game and then gone to his team, right, analyse that over the week. If, you, if, you're, if you're furloughed and you're off work and you've got nothing to do, analyse that for a week and then come back to me and say what they, teams could have done better, what they've done well, just to engage their, their theoretical side of rugby. What are you trying to do during the lockdowns just to keep your players interested to, for when they come back? Well, we did. We did. Um, we did give them a bit of homework. Um, obviously, it's not the first lockdown we've had with it. We've always given them homework as be be position specific uh, when watching any game. So I've sort of said to people, "Yeah, you will concentrate on your own position, but concentrate on that next position now. So in that next game, just watch that fullback. Watch what he does. Watch what he does under the high ball. Watch what he does uh, in terms of communicating with the wingers on that pendulum of." when someone's joining up for the defensive line, where that fullback's position is and where that next winger, the winger on the other side's position is. So we, we do try to communicate to them as much as humanly possible on what they could be doing better as um, players in situations. Talk to each other is one of the, the biggest messages I'll give to the players. Um, I've always tried to do at training sessions. Have a conversation with someone you don't usually speak with. On a, on a normal basis, get to know something about them by the end of the session, you know, get 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 to know what pulls their chain. So in a game, you know how to sort of maybe get them back to the point where we need them. Because um, the, the worst thing for a coach is when, for instance, some players uh, lose their head and and then you get them put down to, to 14 men, which is a very difficult situation to be in, especially when you're in a tight game. We've had it ourselves. You need to know how to calm that player down. You know how to talk to them. And that's always helpful. Um, in terms of, of our club, of, as I said, what we try to do is just, just communicate, try to be better at communicating with each other. Um, always try to make sure that you're trying to push yourself when you get to training to be better, which I have seen, definitely, absolutely have. I've seen some great progress with players in terms of really trying to pull down the apples from the trees of getting better of, of the attacking rugby we want to play and being better with ball in hand and being quicker and quicker and quicker at what they're trying to trying to do and have their heads constantly scanning. So the players are really bought into a lot of what we've tried to develop, um, even at such a small club that we are in terms of the, the rugby geography, especially around us. But um, yeah, we, we, we just try to encourage each other in this really difficult circumstance of training um, but yeah we've just tried to help each other along the way any which way we can just try to push people and, and look into how they can develop their own personal skills and then obviously with their own teammates how they can talk better with their own teammates Mate it sounds like you've got got it sorted for lockdowns um, I, I hope and I pray for, for players, coaches, grassroots clubs up and down the country that we don't have any more and we can see a return return to the game. But I'm not the Prime Minister. If I was, rugby would be going ahead. <laughs> um, but here we are. We've got to, like you said at the start of the show, appreciate what you've got and obviously make do with the stuff that you haven't. So 
Um, just lastly, um, I've got a little game for you at the end um, of the show. But with schools and clubs coaching different aspects of the game, um, I know a lot of schools at the moment are looking at just doing a touch or tag game and clubs um, will start to initiate bringing in um, tackling at some point for some of them, them age groups that are old enough to now go out and tackle. Um, do you think that could have a an effect on the the sport as a general because there'll be kids that are going to after school clubs at like secondary schools and they're going well on a Sunday I'm learning how to tackle but here I'm playing touch you know do you think that's going to have a a massive impact are we going to see not as many school teams um, playing are we going to see a rise in junior numbers maybe at clubs because they're actually being able to tackle or do you do you want to see an even number across both schools and clubs with, you know, schools forming partnerships with local clubs of, right, a coach comes in, they teach us how to tackle, they tackle properly. You know, I tried it at um, Greenwich with the junior section, um, going into schools and introducing the world of rugby to, to the younger kids. And a lot of kids just were like, oh, no, I want to go out and play football. But some of them were so intrigued of, wow, you mean I, I can uh, I can hit someone and not get told off for it? And it, it entices them in. But, yeah, mate, just want to get your thoughts on it. I think, I mean, what we've got to get to grips with is the fact that there, there will be never any contact at primary school levels. It's not going to happen, you know. So what they teach in the schools, um, especially from our prospect, I, I, my actual employment, I work at a school, so I can I see what happens. Um, is I think the RFU are missing a trick. So I think what you could be doing in that situation with schools is you could be encouraging schools to create teams for uh, tag rugby. So I know as a person who loves contact, I don't think you can be naive to the fact that there could be a great, great, um, great insight into having the other code, which will be tag rugby put into place in primary schools, and you would get schools playing that. They would take that up and play that game. Uh, the, the difficult situation you have at the moment is obviously you've got kids that go to primary school that are of the age to do contact at their club, and they find it very confusing and very disheartening when they go to their primary school and play that, because there's nothing worse going from contact to tag and then tag to contact. So I think they've got to almost draw a line in the sand if they're going to do that. And you almost pick a code as a, for your child, whether they're going to do contact and go to a club and do it, or they're happy to play for their school's primary, their primary school's team, which would be a tag rugby team. I mean, I think you could you can infuse a lot of people, especially younger kids, to, to take up rugby if they started with tag first, especially at their primary school and plan for their school team. It gives them a bit of belief to go into one of to play the contact version of the game or learn how to do it. But obviously, it, 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 the, the geography counts for a lot. Obviously, where my school's based is very, very football-infused area. Um, very football-infused area. But do I think if you pushed it, you would get tag rug, a school's tag rugby team going? Absolutely, you would. And I think you would in all the primary school settings, actually. But it has to come at a point because... 
you can't expect the kids to do tag rugby and then they play contact at their clubs. There's not a clear line of sight for the kids there. So I think, you, in my own personal opinion, I think if you made it in two separate codes, there's a tag rugby code for primary schools that would establish teams to do tag rugby tournaments and whatnot, it would be a lot better and it'll infuse a lot of juniors to want to get into rugby, personally. Oh, mate, um, I I agree. Um, I think there needs to be that um, transparency of, right, this is what the schools are doing, um, but the clubs are doing this. Can we can we possibly be singing off the same hymn sheet? Um, yeah, I think we could. I think if the schools were to follow the RFU guidelines of this is what to do, this is how what you do at this age group, this is what you do at this age group, then, yeah, it, like you said, it'll be quite interesting. Um, and, you know, as a player that um, has played tag as well, yes, it's not as fun because it hasn't got that contact element, but it's, it's fast-paced, it, it's different, it's a different way of looking at rugby. It's almost... It's almost like being in a sevens, sevens tournament because you play so many games. And I think, like, like you said, at a primary school level, it's all about getting players to play, getting kids involved in the sport and then branching out, turning around and saying to the schools, right, well, this is your local club, go and visit them. Um, and they'll, they'll, they'll then guide you through the next aspects of um, the game and how, how it's delivered safely. But alternatively, I do think clubs could offer up um, some of their coaches. I know there's a lot, uh, a lot of people that coach as well as work and I understand that, but there, there's a job opportunity there for the RFU to utilise of getting people that are interested in rugby, out of work at the moment, getting them into a school, getting them a qualification. There are, are a few level one coaching, getting them into a school and then going, right, this is rugby. This is how it's played. Don't worry. Don't be scared. I'm here to coach you on what to do safely. And I'll coach you through what you can do at your age group. And if that's just a tag game, that's just a tag game. If that's contact with, with a, like a rugby league restart in the ruck area so you get up, you play the ball, then that's that. I think if the RFU was to work closely with that and the schools, we'd see an increase in numbers um, at kids' rugby. And then, obviously, you'd then see your adults. Oh, Dad, why aren't you playing rugby? All right, I'll go and join the senior team then. And hopefully, we'd see an influx of men joining as well. I know we see it. Go on, mate. So I think, I think the, the only th- the only thing we've had over the years gone by, obviously, you've seen cult teams that have numbers. It's, it's the hardest, hardest catchment area is that point from when they become teenagers until they're 18. That That is the hardest point to keep people infused about yeah. rugby. Because, as you know, to, to, be, to be professional, to get onto the elite, is the numbers start very high and there are very few that make elite teams. Um after being on coaching courses and whatnot and what they say, I mean, you have a lot, a lot of people that play at a very, very, very good standard 
but there's a lot of taking care of yourself at that standard. And I just think at youth at youth level, I mean, the, the coaches at the Greenwich Pirates, our, our youth team, are phenomenal. Like they really infuse the kids in playing. You've done it yourself at the club. Um, been phenomenal there, and it, it's it's a great thing to see as a, as an older person played, seeing kids infused by by what they are, their parents as well. A lot of coaches are parents. And to see them go on the courses and, and get qualified to coach the kids at their age ranges is brilliant. And, and to see the kids infused by it is also brilliant. But there are some kids that find going to a club quite daunting and, and they would like to play for a school team. I mean, years gone by, used to play for your school's football team, your school's rugby team and whatnot. And I think they need to try and infuse that back into it. They need to make it quite a pride thing to do. Because obviously when kids and whatnot get picked up by clubs, they're, they're, they're literally told, no, you won't be playing for a school team. Um, you're, you're with us now. And I think they need to change that again. Because I think it built a lot of things with schools and, and, and you're proud of the school you play for and, and your community you're based in. And I think they need to bring that back. I think they need to, to get kids infused in sport again and be proud to pull, pull on whether they're club jersey or their school's um, kit and just be infused about playing sport. I think what you will find after this is obviously in terms of, of kids' health and obesity levels and whatnot, sport will have to do a massive thing in being pushed forward. And I think the things like obviously the RFU and obviously the football, the FA, I think they've really got to get onto it with the government and say, like, we really need a push on this now because we feel that we could we could get people really infused with sport, whether they're kids or whether they're people that just want to get in sport or did and are not anymore and now they want to get back into it. It could really, really help with people's with physical health or also their mental health. You know, that's that's a key factor in this in this lockdown we've had. People's mental health it is is huge. Is huge whether it's an adult or a child their mental health is a massive thing and if we can if we can infuse them and, and and make them feel happy about something they're doing and and hopefully make them feel like they're at some sort of normality in their life or found something new and they're really infused about doing it we, we we've done a massive thing we've won a massive massive obstacle gone over there for, for everyone really yeah mate um it's we could sit here and talk about it all day. Um, and I know it's something that you're very passionate about, trying to get kids involved in rugby. And like you said, um, I was um, very passionate about it. You know, I set up the the juniors at Greenwich um, and they've gone from strength to strength. And it, it is the parents that are around you that put their hand up and go, well, actually, I wouldn't mind trying to coach and coaching the kid or and it's they're, they're the ones that um, helped you out of a hole really when you've got 60 odd kids there and I was the only coach at the time and I'm coaching kids that are four right the way up to 13 and it's like I need help and then a few of them come forward yeah. and was like actually I don't mind coaching right great let's send you on a course and I mean eventually it led to the club getting accredited and recognised by the RFU. So that's that's massive. And if junior rugby can have that impact at every club and you imagine every club being accredited and recognised by the RFU 
as an accredited club, how much safer parents would feel to send their um, kids to an accredited club that is recognised by the RFU. That we're 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 following the safety protocols. We're we're following the step by step guide that the RFU set set out. It's you know I think it, it is that safety issue that parents do worry about. I mean, you're a parent yourself, um, and you've always said to me that if if your boy does play rugby, he plays rugby. If he doesn't, he doesn't. Um, but it, it, I think at the back of your mind, from a parent's point of view, at the back of your mind, do you worry about their safety if if the coaching's not right? Yeah, I mean, also with the coach, I mean, I've had I've had some injuries myself that. I wouldn't wish upon my my kids if they played the game. Obviously, I picked up quite a bad injury from being tip tackled, and funny enough, that was in a sevens tournament, and um, completely severed every muscle that connected my collarbone to my shoulder, which resulted to my collarbone floating in the air. Which, for some reason, I decided to just have physio, not have the surgery from the start. Had it years later, and uh, obviously now I've got my my shoulder anchored down and whatnot. Um, you do think about that. I mean, injuries in the sense, injuries are when you're playing the game is you could have that bad luck one day, let's be honest. And it, it could happen to you playing that sport or it could happen to you walking down a set of steps. You know, it, it you you have to sort of, a risk factor is anything. A risk factor is in everything you do, basically. So there are risks to you opening your front door in the morning, you know, going to work. But, you you can't let everything like that. If you enjoy doing something, if my if my children enjoy playing rugby, who am I to stop them doing that enjoyment they're getting from it? You know, if they weren't enjoying it, yeah, you should not be playing it. Don't play it if you don't enjoy it. But I just think if you take every risk into factor in life, you, you wouldn't do anything. You wouldn't leave your front door. So I think in terms of sport, whether they're playing football, cricket. They could pick up an injury doing anything, you know, running. I think if if they're enjoying the sport, I think you've got to infuse, you've got to infuse, make sure they're ready to want to carry on doing it, you know. Make sure you feed their enthusiasm for whatever they're doing to make sure that they really sort of excel at it. Otherwise, if you're if you're not infused about what they're excited about doing, you know, they're they're gonna get disheartened with it quite quickly and they're not gonna feel like you're backing them. I just think as a parent, if, if my child wanted to play a sport, I'd back them with it all the way. All the way. If you if that's something you enjoy, you you crack on, then I'll, I'll support you in any way I can to make sure that you're getting the best you can out of it. So I think as a parent, for me, I'm, I'm definitely in the process of, of making sure my kids, if they pick up a sport or if they pick up an instrument, lovely, what can I do to, to make you want to enjoy it more? How can I sort of push your enthusiasm to to want to get better at it, you know? Yeah, mate. Um, it's, it's like being a coach, but it, it, they're, they're yours for for life. You're coaching for life. Um, just yeah. before you go, massive thank you for coming on, mate. Um, I've got a quick game. You up for it? All yeah, right, go on then. Quick fire. I'll fire a question at you. you just got to reply without even thinking um, too long about the answer. Right, favourite drink after a game, mate? Uh, Guinness. Uh, favourite food after the game? 
Uh, I would go for chicken. Good shout. Um, Favourite player that's playing at the moment? Oh, Jamie George. Um, One piece of kit that's always in your kit bag? Uh, Socks. All right. And one piece of kit that you'd never, ever forget? I'd never forget. never forget. It's always there. You need it. Maybe a lucky charm or something like that. Boots. Boots. No worries, mate. Steve, thank you for coming on. It's been a great, great touchy. Um, Pin you down and, and pick your brain about rugby. Um, I hope you come back on soon. It's been fantastic. Thank you so much. Uh, it's been a pleasure, mate. Thank you for having me. It's been brilliant. Cheers. I've been James and this is All Things Rugby.